0: All right, we are back, and I fear headed into some uh, political matters. After all, the show is put together in the shadow of the capital of what some describe as the sixth, seventh, or eighth largest economy in the world. I'm not sure what where California really stacks up, but it's it's in there somewhere. But after taking a dip in the political pool, I always kind of feel like I need to shower. So let's ease in slowly with some quasi-science stories. They may apply to the political world. Starting with the fact that on the 23rd of March, as part of an agreement between the U.S. and Mexican governments, a giant pulse of water was released through the Morelos Dam on the U.S.-Mexican border. Over the next eight weeks, 130 billion liters. Of course, when they, when they want to make the numbers sound big, they always use liters or gallons. When they want to make it sound small, they use acre feet. At any rate... A fair amount of water is going to pour through the dam to rejuvenate the Colorado River Delta, which has pretty much disappeared in recent decades. Noted New Scientist magazine, uh, the Colorado River has not flowed to the sea regularly since the 1960s. Evidently, a huge team of scientists is going to monitor the outcome, watching as the Delta hopefully springs back to life. Actually, I don't have the numbers in front of me. There was an estimate in New just a few weeks back about how many hectares would spring back to life. (laughs) It was something like, I don't know, one four hundredth of what used to be a a thriving marshland. Nevertheless, something is better than nothing. And this this correspondent may go down to Mexico to witness what is taking place with this um, water release. Water is always big news in California. We never seem to have enough of it. Luckily, we've gotten some rain in the past few days and weeks, bringing our total up to, well, not quite acceptable level, but at least above utter disaster. And yeah, we can do the whole rest of the show on water, but we're not going to. Let's instead talk about um, a curious item from the world of science. Cuckoos, as you may or may not know, are a type of bird that's fond of a rather dirty trick. The mother cuckoo lays an egg or eggs in the nests of other birds, then lets the other bird mothers do the hard work of gathering the food to feed the babies. Since this seems certain to reduce the number of birds reproducing uh, that are playing host to the cuckoos, you'd wonder why there wasn't an evolutionary battle going on to, um, to eliminate this trick. Well, scientists think they may have an understanding of why this uh, is tolerated. It appears that at least one species of cuckoo benefits its hosts in that it's stink repels predators the story is that carrion crows often play host to chicks of the great spotted cuckoo and researchers in Spain found that crows with a cuckoo chick in the nest were actually 40 percent more likely to raise one of their chicks to adulthood compared with crows not hosting cuckoos it does turn out that the hosts only had this edge if predators were active The reason is that the cuckoo chicks emit a foul fluid from their cloacas, said researcher Daniela Canestrari. It's really disgusting. It's pungent. It produces a burning sensation in the throat and looks like rotting matter. She tested its effect on predators by offering meat smeared with it to eight cats. Apparently only one cat was even tempted. So there you have it. If you're a disgusting enough guest, you may be able to help your host. Which I think somehow is an apt segue into the world of politics, and yes, we are going to talk about Leland Yee in a minute. But let's take a detour into the uh, McKinley Village project, which this uh, correspondent is quite perturbed about, and that I think it will ruin the neighborhood of East Sacramento, where I live. According to an article in the Bee by Hudson Sangre last week, the Sacramento Planning Commission unanimously approved a controversial plan for a new subdivision. Now, we report on this program about a previous visit to the preliminary planning commission meeting, which totally impressed this correspondent with how thoroughly the fix was obviously in. Last time when people stood up to address the planning commission to ask them, would you buy houses here? Given that you're in a smog trap between a freeway and um, a rail line. That line of questioning was repeatedly batted down with things like, no, th- sir, this is not about addressing that. that. That'll be dealt with at another time. We're just examining the project to see its, a, it's, a, it's, it's merit as a development. And of course, they liked the tile. They liked uh, the, the paint schemes. They liked the cement they were going to use. I had the feeling if someone came along and proposed putting a concentration camp in that area that these guys were going to be really concerned about whether the barbed wire looked real snazzy. The worst part about this project is there's going to be only two holes punched in the railroad berm, which is going to create traffic flow problems where the inhabitants of this new development interact with the rest of the neighborhood. So some people have brought up the fact that the original plan had an entrance at Alhambra Boulevard, but a developer Phil Angelides told the commission that a tunnel at Alhambra would be too difficult to engineer and prohibitively costly. It would make the project unfeasible. So never mind the fact that, Without that tunnel, the neighborhood's going to be ruined. It's going to cost the developer money. We'll continue to follow this sordid tale. And speaking of numbskulls and positions of authority, sorry, I couldn't resist. It was with a great deal of delight that I received the story by Ryan Lewis and the Bee on uh, the 28th of March that the city of Sacramento is going to cut marina rent in effort to lure back boat owners. We talked a bit about this some years back on this program. Yours truly at one time was a patron of the Sacramento Arena, having owned a boat, when it turned out that knuckleheads in charge decided that they were going to change the way things were done down there, in that if I sold you, dear listener, my boat, you were no longer going to be at the head of the line to get the slip the boat was in. No, people at the marina thought, we need to put everybody on a list, a waiting list, And spread, make it more democratic, so that there's a good chance that when you sell your boat, the new boat owner may be screwed. The logic of this dictates that um, that would depress the value of your boat or make it impossible to sell, perhaps. So, I sold mine. So, when I read that City Public Works Director Jerry Way told the Sacramento City Council last week, we want to get back to basics by valuing our customers. I just have to say, Jerry it's a little late, and personally, if the whole place goes bankrupt, it's okay by me. I just wish that the people in charge who made these bad decisions a few years back will get called on it, but my understanding is they moved on to other departments. For all I know, they're now in the city planning commission. I also like the piece also by Ryan Lillis about uh, the development that's going to replace Sutter Memorial Hospital in East Sacramento, also my neighborhood, About 100 homes are going to be put uh, where the hospital currently is. And um, Willis notes that, uh, well, this proposed development has met with an unusually peaceful reaction in a city where such infill developments often prompt neighbors' revolts. No, Ryan, only really bad infill projects promote neighborhood revolts. Good ones don't. Turns out the developers putting this project in listen to neighbors and are willing to make some reasonable changes, and which led to a quote that was in the paper by Brian Kaiser, local resident who said, the developers really proved themselves. They obviously cared about what the neighbors think. It's probably been a surprise for people to witness. I have to agree. A developer caring about the neighbors is a surprise to witness. It seems there's been quite a bit of hospital development of late in Sacramento. It was announced recently the new Spanos Center. It's going to extend its reach of world-class heart care. Evidently, a Stockton real estate mogul, Alex Spanos, owner of the San Diego Chargers, was pretty happy with the cardiac care he got at Mercy some years back and said, tell you what, I'm going to give you guys 20 million bucks to build a cardiac center. There were a lot of pros and cons to doing that, but um, let's just say that, in this case, money carried the day, as it often does. All right, let's talk about Leland Yee, a San Francisco politician, currently a state senator representing San Francisco, who's got himself in a bit of hot water. And I had to laugh at the perspective on uh, Yee's plight, presented by Willie Brown in the Chronicle in his column, Willie's World. And given the colorful nature of Willie Brown, I can't resist quoting from this uh, column of his, said Willie, just a week before his arrest, a relaxed and upbeat Yee stopped by to see me at the St. Regis. He didn't say one word to hint that his world was about to fall apart. All he wanted to do was talk about the strategy that he and Richie Ross were putting together for his Secretary of State run. He definitely didn't discuss raising money. Well, thank you for clarifying that, Willie. He goes on. It was an unexpected visit, to say the least. For the past 10 years, Ye has been a staunch Willie Brown basher, accusing me at every campaign stop of cronyism, corruption, and power broker politics but then that's a classic Leland. Bash you one day and then show up at your event and talk about how long you've been buddies. He goes on, I have to say, however, he's always been an incredibly hard worker. He goes to every event, he says hello to everybody, and he answers everybody's questions the way they want them answered. He might turn around and do just the opposite of what he told you, but again, that's just who he is, period. And he was always looking for campaign money. He goes on, the shocker of all shockers in the FBI sting was the arrest of former school board president Keith Jackson. Jackson never achieved his goal of being a go to in the African American community. He won the school board seat in a fluke arrangement. The powers that be, who wanted to control education, knew they had to have diversity. So Keith became their African American tool. He won, then he discovered it wasn't a paying job. So he had to quit. You know, I have to pause and say, I'm glad we've never irked Willie Brown on this program. Because that man knows how to wield the knife. In fact, we did have a rather pleasant chat with Willie Brown on this program some years back. We refer you to our archives at radioparallax.com to hear that. It was kind of a hoot. But back to his column. Said Willie Brown, one person not shedding tears over Yi's indictment is Rose Pack. For years, Rose has publicly called Yee a crook. Her persistent barbs were one reason why Yi stopped writing in the Chinese New Year parade. The Chinese press had often written stories about Yi's alleged bad conduct based in part of information from Rose. None of the accusations however, ever gained any traction with the mainstream press. I'd never heard of Rose Pack, but through the miracle of Google, I did pull this up. From a July 25, 2011 SF Weekly interview, Rose Pack said, in answer to the question, How about Leland Yi? He's a Chinese-American politician. Said Pack, Leland Yi is one of the most morally corrupt politicians I've ever encountered in 40 years. From the first day he stepped in as a school board member, lying to get his children into the preferred assigned schools using a phony address, selling his services to Chinese American parents who would cut an arm or leg to get their kid into the right schools, he did all that. So I don't think he stood for anything decent in our community except to come and take money and then clamoring to be the first Asian this and Asian that, but he doesn't impress me. He doesn't stand for anything except corruption and bribery, to which we say, ouch! Anyway, I had to laugh at a piece in the San Francisco Chronicle. The title of the piece was actually, Donations Might Have Swayed Votes in Legislature, followed by (laughs) the kind of chart that would have to make any politician cringe to cite some examples from uh, Leland Yee's voting record, such as AB 146, which would have introduced competition into the wholesale gasoline market and prohibited oil companies from dictating prices for set areas. In May 2003, Yi voted against the bill in committee, and in fact it was defeated in the committee by a vote of 4-3. to three. Under the heading Donations, it was noted that for more than a year before the vote, Yi's only campaign contribution from oil interests was $250 from a Shell gas station owner. Starting a month after the vote and over the next six years, Yee received $30,000 in campaign contributions from oil and gas interests. What about AB881, which would regulate the cost of prescription drugs? In January 2004, Yee voted against the bill in committee, and it died in committee by a 10 to 6 vote. Under the donations heading, we find out that Yee reported nearly $46,000 in campaign donations from the opponents of the bill from 2004 to 2010. How about AB319, which would have banned the chemical BPA from children's products? In January 2006, Ye voted against it in committee, and the bill fell one vote short and died in committee. Turns out in the Donations Department, Ye reported receiving $22,000 from chemical companies and their employees from 2003 to 2010, including $1,000 from Dow Chemical Company just three weeks before the vote. Well, is there a link between uh, Ye's voting record and donations You make the call. This story promises to be quite a circus, including the introduction of Raymond Shrimp Boy Chow into public discourse. Sam Stanton, Peter Hecht, and Stephen Maganini in The Bee, that back in the summer of 2012, when Shrimp Boy Chow was musing about his notorious past as a Chinese gang leader for a History Channel feature, he was straightforward about his place in San Francisco's hierarchy. Said Chow... I run this city. Who can tell me something I cannot do? Nobody. Well, apparently the FBI had other ideas. I I like the way they're talking about uh, these developments in Chinatown of these various tongs, as if, you know, it's just like just a social club. Apparently back in 2006, the San Francisco businessman and tong leader Alan Luang, who was the head of the Gi Kung Tong, of what's described as Chinese Freemasons, was gunned down by a masked intruder. Everybody thought that Shrimp Boy Chow may have been behind it. I think their suspicions increased when <laughs> Shrimp Boy replaced Mr. Lung as the head of the Tong. In fact, a lot of people didn't like this guy. He was, after all, a, a, a convict who'd spent something, I don't know, like 20 years behind bars, something like that. But uh, it turns out that although he was uh, not an American citizen, they just didn't seem to get around to deporting him, like the piece by Laurel Rosenhall and Jim Miller in The Bee, about the fact that Leland Lee showed up uh, last Monday and did not enter a plea to charges of corruption and plotting to traffic illegally in arms. My favorite part, after his appearance in court, Yee's lawyer Paul DeMeester asked why it took until Wednesday for the government to file charges when it appeared the investigation of his client began back in 2011. Demeester told the AP, it raises fairness questions. Is it fair to the public? Is it fair to the senator that it took so long? This reminds us of what a lawyer once told us many years back on this program, verifying an old saying that uh, he heard in law school, that we heard they, they teach people in law school, which is that when the law is on your side, you should bang on the law. And when the facts are on your side, you should bang on the facts. And when neither one is on your side you should bang on the table, which I think prompts questions like, is this fair that it took so long to charge him? By the way, Yilin Yi has officially dropped out of the race for secretary of state, where he was apparently the front runner until uh, all this happened. But he's still in the ballot, so if you want, you can cast an ironic vote in his direction. Now, I don't want to bash people of Chinese ancestry on this program, that's for sure. But I've been sitting on a story from The Economist from February 1st of this year regarding doctors in China, and this may be the time to just run through it. Noted The Economist, the Chinese media frequently portray doctors not as life-saving heroes, but as profit-seeking villains. Noted that last October, there were at least six violent attacks on doctors by disgruntled patients, including one that led to death. One of the reasons for such hostilities is the high price of medicines and the corruption that contributes to it. By 2016, China is expected to become the world's second largest pharmaceutical market. Unfortunately, it has a system that inflates the cost of medicine, so that even the cheapest generic drugs sold in Chinese hospitals are much more expensive than their international benchmark. So that public hospitals in China are not so public in their funding. Government subsidies only make up 9% of their revenues. By contrast, the sale of medicines account for 40%. Doctors are underpaid, so much of their income depends on how many drugs they prescribe. The government apparently has taken a series of measures to attack the problem, but doctors were quick to adopt countermeasures, like switching to more expensive alternatives or prescribing more unnecessary drugs. According to the health minister, the average Chinese person consumes 10 times more antibiotics than the average American. And last July, authorities in Fujian province uh, found that more than a 1,000 medical professionals had taken in $3.3 million in bribes, direct bribes from pharmaceutical representatives. And while the introduction of generics has driven down drug costs elsewhere in the world, Promoting their use is difficult in China. The incentive system there works against the use of cheap drugs. Scandals involving unsafe local food and drugs add another obstacle because many doctors and patients favor foreign brand name drugs. What a mess. Well, let's take a break first. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Being my friend, I said you told Dr.